Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode 67, recorded on April 10th, 2020. BigQuery simulates the Cloud Pod March Madness. Hey, Peter and Jonathan, how's it going this fine week? It's good. These weeks are just flying by. Are they? I, I, I don't know which day of the week it is anymore. I don't know what's up and down and left and right. I'm just, I'm just living, I feel, at this moment. Yeah, I feel like this week flew by for me. I, I don't know if either of you have this, but I have like this from 9 a.m. until 5, 5.30 every day. It's just back-to-back-to-back meetings. <laughs> like, Zoom call to Zoom call to Zoom call. It's just, it's brutal. Like, then there's no moving around, so you don't get that kind of breaking up of your day. It's uh, it's pretty awful. But, uh, they, did in, they did impose a mandatory 30-minute break at the, uh, the work, so now we get from 11 to 11.30 to do whatever we want to. Similar for me, although, yeah, we've we've had a couple short time frame projects, one specifically related to COVID that I've been pulled into action on. So once once I start billing, then the days really fly by because there's so much work to be done. I remember the days of being billable. It's a it's a weird, weird world. <laughs> Weird concept. You know, one of the things that I've been doing a lot of during this COVID is I've been checking out the uh, John Hopkins uh, COVID chart. And so they track you know, how many cases per country and what states have it the worst, et cetera, versus uh, people who have recovered fully. Uh, but it's been really interesting to watch the chart and see the you know the curve. And they say that it's starting to bend a little bit, which I'm not entirely sure I believe them yet. But, you know, that's what they're saying. But, uh, you know, that's all being provided to us by uh, John Hopkins. And so one of the uh, things that we did for all the conferences that have been uh, been canceled uh, was we bought a bunch of stickers. (laughs) And so to kind of turn around and give back to John Hopkins, I have made those stickers available to you for a nominal fee on the website. And we will take the profits of those sticker sales and we will donate that to John Hopkins on your behalf. So you get a CloudPod sticker and you get a donate to John Hopkins. That's something if you're interested in doing out there, listeners, go check out our website, uh, thecloudpod.com. Uh, slash shop and you can pick up a pin a tcp talk sticker or the cloud pod sticker or our new coveted lambda spackle sticker hmm. uh, which we just had redesigned which is pretty awesome and definitely available in limited quantities uh, to hopefully burn down this uh, large box of stickers that i have next to my desk and my wife will stop glaring at me so do uh, do do that. We do offer all the shipping options for international and domestic shipping. Uh, it is expensive to ship internationally, and you have to make me go to the post office. So make that an extra motivation for you <laughs> to make me get out in COVID uh, <laughs> and go to the post office. So there you go. Very cool. Indeed. I have stickers for you, uh, Peter, when I, I'm not on lockdown. I'm not going to mail Never them gonna to you. Never going to see you again. Never yeah, see no, you again. Yeah. I'm not going to I'm not gonna mail them to you, So unless you go pay the shipping costs, because it's <laughs> to ship. <laughs> <laughs> but when I do see you, I have t-shirts and all kinds of for you. Actually, I just, it's been collecting as we've been buying swag and I don't see you as often. So there you go. All right. Well, moving on to our friends at AWS. Uh, they have been very busy. Uh, the working from home has been good for them. Uh, I think productivity wise, uh, compared to AWS or Azure and Google, they are killing it, uh, when it comes to features. So the first one, uh, out of the day, out of the gate this week is uh, two CloudWatch uh, contributor insights announcements. One is for the, just, uh, the ability of CloudWatch contributor insights being available for you. And then the second one is, uh, the ability to also monitor Dynamo and CloudWatch contributor insights is a tool that allows you to simplify the analysis of top-end contributors to time series data in CloudWatch logs, and that can help you more quickly understand who or what is impacting your system and application performance in real time and at scale. 
the goal is to save you time during operational problem troubleshooting and by helping you understand the operating issues of who and what uh, quickly. Uh, it does suck in data from all kinds of different formats, including uh, JSON or common log format. Uh, log data can be sourced from EC2, CloudTrail, RAP53, Apache Access and Error Logs, VPC Full Logs, Lambda Logs, and API Gateway Logs, and is available to you in all regions except for China and the GovCloud. Uh, some great, fantastic tools and visualizations to help you troubleshoot your apps in the cloud. I was really interested to look at the, the use case they have in their blog post. It makes me think that you could you could start to use uh, CloudWatch Insights to do a similar thing that, that Harness does. Uh, in that you could watch deployments in real time and then if, if this uh, triggers an alarm based on traffic to your new API version or something, you could automatically roll back. So it could build some neat automation around this. Canary style? Yeah. Amazon Redshift has uh, been updated. Uh, in December, uh, for episode 51, which is one of our reInvent recap shows, uh, they announced the RA3 16x large instance, uh, which customers apparently were told them was fantastic, but way more than they needed for their workloads. And so uh, Amazon has now released the new, smaller RA3.4x large. Uh, the RA3.4x large node, uh, which just rolled off the tongue, uh, provides 12 vCPUs and 96 gigs of RAM and addresses up to 64 terabytes of managed storage. And you can build a cluster of these with up to 32 of these instances and two petabytes of storage available. Uh, in comparison to you, this is about a fourth the size of the RA316X large, which was a 48 vCPU and 384 gigabyte of memory solution. Uh, pricing for this is about $3.26 per hour, uh, or about $2,400 per month, uh, if you do the round. Per node, right? Per node, per node, correct. Per node, yeah. That's good. Better than uh, 4X that if you don't need it. I got nothing. It is what it is. <laughs> like, look, it costs a, a quarter of what they won four times as large costs. Mm -hmm. yeah. Smaller stair steps. It's interesting because you look at the quick start wizard now for Redshift, they do only recommend the RA3 instances now. They don't recommend the older uh, DS uh, line. So it's uh, interesting to see that it's now changing. So cheaper instances as your default would always be better for uh, people who run their bills up quite a bit. Right. Amazon Redshift is also now supporting the ability to change your node types on the fly, uh, which might be t handy for you if you're on those DS2 or DC2 node types uh, and you want to move to those new RA3 types we just talked about. Uh, this allows you to basically automatically do this, uh, which they've automated the steps required. So in the past, you take a snapshot, you create a new cluster, you delete the old cluster after importing all your old data, and this was somewhat manual and could be error-prone, but now Amazon does this all for you automatically uh, through magic. And so this magic is now available to you to make that move to the RA3 instance much, much easier. Yeah, cool. I mean, you can stop and start them. You can change instance types. I'm sure serverless is on the horizon. Yeah, pretty much. I haven't forgotten my, my uh, well, let's hope reInvent still happens this year. Speaking of uh, reInvent, Reinforce was just canceled this week. I yeah. Show notes, but uh, they canceled that on uh, Wednesday, saying they just didn't think they'd would have enough people attending and that they weren't sure about the future of COVID at that point, if we'd be through the curve. So that makes sense. And I kind of what I expected to have happen, uh, honestly. Those, my, those instance migrations, whenever you have to snap and reload, I've seen real issues caused where people make mistakes in that process. And that's just fun. That's just work that's not fun to do. So it's good to see we don't have to do it anymore. Amazon Deep Composer is now generally available with some new features for you. Uh, these are features for people who are not making music, <laughs> but actually want to build their own uh, generative adversarial networks. Uh, these are, of course, the way they validate the music that they machine learning creates is good. And this is a challenging system that uses uh, basically training between each node to determine that the sound is good quality or not good quality based on its history with other musical types. Uh, of course, this is a great use case for all those of you who are 
you know, trying to now get your EDM careers off the ground if you've been recently unemployed and focusing on your DJ career. This might <laughs> be able to help you get through that process. Uh, you can buy a Amazon Deep Composer keyboard for $99 if you want the Amazon-branded version, uh, or you can buy one for $50 that doesn't have the AWS logo, which will give you the exact same thing. So do keep that in mind uh, if you're looking to get into this. Although you don't need the keyboard, you can just go online and type in the keys if you'd like as well on a normal keyboard. Is that through the console? Yes, uh, and the console has a virtual uh, electronic keyboard, and you can push the keys and, and all the different things to get the MIDI tracks into your system. That's how I played with it at reInvent, actually. Cool. Maybe I'll try it for next week, see what we come up with. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe we can try to improve our theme, show, our theme song. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports in-region read replicas. Uh, this is ability for you to set up a read replica using distributed availability groups uh, within the Amazon region. AWS handles the setup and configuration of the distributed access group, as well as the secure network communications between a primary DB instance and its replicas. Uh, this does require SQL Server Enterprise Edition in the multi-AZ config with always on enabled. Uh, read replicas are built at the same rate as a standard DB instance, so do keep that in mind uh, before you spin up your five read-only instances and then are surprised by the bill. Yeah, that's that's, uh, that's expensive too. Yes, very, very expensive. At the same time, how did they get away with not having this for this long for production workloads? It's a good question. I don't have a good answer for it. The answer is people weren't running those production workloads. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, they, well, they, well, they built their own on EC2. Yep. Yeah, that's probably it with always on. Yeah. You can now investigate performance issues with the Amazon CodeGuru Profiler, which is now out of beta. They have a new flame graph as part of the beta removal uh, that provides enhanced overall usability. Uh, you can navigate more easily with the improved scrolling functionality and the new visual tools that show parts of the... Eh, just kill this whole story. This is stupid. <laughs> I, I can't even make this entertaining. Nobody can afford to use it anyway. <laughs> Wasn't this oh the thing God, where, they, where they charge like per, per line well, of code? So, or so the so this is the profiler, which is the part that you instrument your code with to tell you why your app isn't performing. Ah, uh, okay. I can't do it. Just cut it. I can't <laughs> do cut, it. Just cut the story. <laughs> Put myself to sleep. I can't. I can't get through it. Amazon EFS uh, is announcing a 400% increase in read operations for general purpose mode file systems. Uh, this allows you to support up to 35,000 read operations per second, uh, which is, of course, a 400% increase over the 7,000 it previously could do for reads. Uh, the maximum write ops, though, are still unchanged at 7,000 per second. And, of course, the GP or the general purpose is the default performance mode for EFS. There is a, a more fast version as well that you can get available. Uh, and customers benefit with the increased performance workloads that need the lower metadata latencies of GP mode, but also require a higher number of read ops. I think most of the ops requirements end up being like many boxes reading and one box occasionally writing. I think this is going to help, I think, a ton for EFS use cases. Yeah, I definitely think so as well. It's almost like they, they were leading into another feature or something that would build on top of this. <laughs> Drum roll, please. Which <laughs> is the Amazon ECS now supports Amazon EFS file systems. Of course, dealing with stateful data uh, has been a challenge if you're using ECS or Fargate. Uh, and so there's ways to do this with uh, mounting you know, EFS on an EC2 host outside of the container and basically then mounting that to your container host. Uh, but that you know can cause some problems and has some dependencies and timing issues. Uh, but no longer. With Amazon uh, now launching the native support for EFS, both containers running in ECS and Fargate, 
Stargate will be able to use EFS stores. Uh, this is as simple as going into the console, setting up your new EFS file system, and then specifying this in your task, de task definition in the volume setup. So basically you'll specify the file system ID as well as the correct access point ID for it, and then you can even enable encryption in transit. So they handle all of that for you, all now defined at the task level. Uh, this also do support EFS IAM authorization. So if you have a very large EFS uh, file system that you only want some containers to access certain directories and others to access others, you can use that all through the IAM authorization capabilities. Uh, this really starts changing the way the CloudPod architecture for our website is built, and so uh, this might make me get off my butt uh, and rebuild our CloudPod website. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Platform. This is easy button for, for containerizing. Right now I do some heroics to basically get my EBS volume that I carry around uh, mounted to my server <laughs> when, it re when it gets killed by Amazon. <laughs> I wonder if uh, EFS for Lambda is going to come soon. I suspect that's coming soon as well. But, uh, you know, it's interesting because we talked about, I think maybe a month ago, about the IAM authorization capabilities and some of these other um, components that were coming out and all leading up to this announcement here, finally, that ECS now supports EFS and Fargate, which is even more impressive too. So hopefully we'll see similar things coming for uh, EKS Fargate as well. And our final story makes all of our partners happy. AWS launches its Windows Migration Acceleration Program. Uh, for those of you who know, uh, the Migration Acceleration Program is a program that Microsoft or Amazon will use to basically help you move your workload to the cloud. Uh, they might provide professional services credits or credits to a partner uh, to allow you to then help uh, accelerate your move. Uh, this program offers access to services such as prescriptive guidance, consulting with Amazon experts and tools, training and service credits to reduce the risk associated with switching to the cloud. And one of the goals of this particular one, because Windows, is about reducing your licensing costs to the adoption of cloud native and open source technologies. Uh, and they walk through a couple steps on how to get this done. Uh, but overall, it's a really great, uh, very focused Windows map program. Yeah, it's going to be really compelling for customers. It's going to be a significant amount of uh, subsidies from Amazon to help you get those workloads migrated. And I believe it's also um, simply for uh, uh, AWS to AWS uh, technology refresh. So tons of good uses here. We're just finishing up our documentation to get our EC2 Microsoft specialty, which will make us part of the program, I guess. So definitely, if you're interested in this, uh, give us a ring. This is something we could help with. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the CloudPod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Well, Google uh, has several announcements this week as well, not to not to be overshone too much by AWS. Uh, they're powering up caching with their memory store for Memcached. They announced previously a memory store for Redis, uh, so this is now the second part of that, which is memory Memcached. Uh, this is available for you in beta. It is a fully managed, highly available service that's compatible with open source Memcached protocol. And there are several important benefits of the memory store for Memcached, including it is open source compliant, fully managed, can scale instances up and down easily, 
the auto discovery protocol support to let clients adapt to changes programmatically, making it easy to deal with changes in scaling up or down, and built-in dashboards in the cloud console and cloud monitoring stack. So there you go. Uh, you can use Memcached with the Compute Engine, GKE, App Engine Flex, App Engine Standard, and Cloud Functions. Hmm. I thought only AWS stole uh, open source software and productized it. <laughs> <laughs> this is for everybody who hates Redis. Here you go. Yep. Is there is there an open core uh, Memcached enterprise company out there? I don't think so. Is there? There is for Redis, but never heard of one. Maybe that's why they're okay stealing this from open source. Mm. Maybe there's a startup idea there. Maybe we can start the Memcached enterprise company to be offended by this activity. But doesn't anyone complain that all these uh, companies have, are using Linux as their operating system? Well, I mean, Red Hat complains probably because they're not getting that cut. I don't know why they complain. They get their cut. For Red the only one who shouldn't, I guess they complain about them using, <laughs> offering all the other ones, the free ones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Alternatives. Uh, I wonder how they're doing under IBM right now in the middle of all this. Eh, fun. We'll find out soon. Earnings are coming up. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, one of the victims of the shelter in place orders that across the United States is, of course, March Madness. And March Madness was canceled. Uh, and apparently this upset Google in such a way that they are going to now create simulated March Madness. Uh, of course, they have a strong relationship with the NCAA and had planned to compile and track a ton of statistics and data for the tournament uh, to the point where they have written an entire blog post about how they use the Monte Carlo method and BigQuery to set up, run, and explore tens of thousands of NCAA basketball bracket simulations. Uh, you can go to this blog post and play with the results right now, and you can see if your team would have won and how many different scenarios they would have won. Uh, based on the simulation. So you can see, you know, like my uh, Gonzaga team was 58% in one of the brackets, uh, chance of winning, which is kind of a bummer because this might have been their year finally, but uh, unfortunately they're out because uh, there is no March Madness. But uh, you can do it virtually if you like, all on Amazon, on BigQuery, on Google's system. I can't believe that, like, they haven't partnered with whoever does the video game, whether it's EA or whoever, for this oh, to yeah. actually have the players playing like themselves. Games. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know Microsoft's been doing that for a while with um, Madden and uh, Have they? Xbox. Yeah. So during awesome. during one of the breaks during a football game, they'll come up and say, you know, this is the play of the game from the Madden simulation. Blah blah blah. And it's it's kind of silly, but it, it's cute. I want the I want the actual players controlling their actual avatar and actually <laughs> playing the game. Is what I'm saying. I've seen that too. Uh, I mean, they do that. As like a Super Bowl pre Super Bowl event, like there'll be a bunch of players yeah. playing as themselves on Madden and these different games. Uh, but you know that might be the only way they get to play football this year. Yeah, continues this way. I mean, NASCAR did it with a with a race, and I think it was kind of a big hit. Definitely, maybe it was just a big hit for me. <laughs> I, I didn't even know it was a thing, so I'm definitely a bigger hit for you than for me. Some driver, some driver crashed into another driver and then uh, quit the game, and then I think his team in real life fired him because of it. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, uh, if you are using the uh, NCAA BigQuery capabilities and you maybe don't want to see the scores, uh, you can now use the new BigQuery column level security uh, for fine-grained access control to BigQuery. Uh, this allows you to basically make certain uh, columns protected. So if you have like a social security column where you need to collect the data, but you don't want your support people to be able to see it, for example, you can set this up with the big carry column level security and basically provide that to your end users in a more secure fashion that doesn't expose PI data. And unfortunately, it probably makes it easier for the like data scientists and people who just don't want the responsibility of getting stuff that they shouldn't get without having to worry about 
doing the equivalent of select star. Yeah. And this is a very, very long blog post <laughs> all about how this feature works. And so if you're curious about this one, I definitely recommend reading the full blog post, which I could not summarize in anything shorter <laughs> than what I've done. I wonder if this will actually make the the uh, information security people happy enough, because I, I've always had this concern that, well, you know, a customer could have pasted something into a different, uh, like a notes field or something else. And so so you'd still always have this requirement to, to scrub all the fields for social security numbers or other kinds of PIR. I guess it's a, it's a mitigating strategy. But. I think, yeah, I think you're still going to have to do that for customer, for when end users can input data. But a lot of this data is potentially generated, right? Machine generated as well. Mm. Well, that's one of the features of the uh, cloud DLP product from Google is that they allow you to basically scan all those fields. And if it does it detect that someone put in PI data into a field they shouldn't have, it can actually go in and then tokenize that data. Um, so that way you don't have to actually worry about it from that level. So they, Google actually has some great solutions for that. I assume that you'll see some integrations with those type of things in the future. Um, into BigQuery and others where they'll actually be able to just do it natively. Mm. Moving on to Azure. Uh, IPv6 has uh, finally come to Azure Virtual Networks. Uh, this is announced on April Fool's Day, but it's not an April Fool's joke. <laughs> so apparently <laughs> people do want IPv6. Uh, the IPv6 support within the Azure Virtual Network allows you to expand into the growing mobile and IoT markets with the Azure-based apps. Uh, they announced several features for this, including the ability to define your own IPv6 virtual network address space to meet your needs. Uh, and integrate into your on-premise IP space, a dual-stack IPv4 and IPv6 subnet capability, uh, the ability to protect your resource with IPv6 rules and via network security groups, uh, DDoS support for IPv6, customized routing of IPv6, and Linux and Windows virtual machines can all use IPv6 today, as well as new IPv6 load balancing and regional and global peering of dual-stack virtual networks. All available to you if you are living in the future where IPv6 is the only have IP that's out there. <laughs> it's good to see DDoS protection, though, because one of the biggest concerns for adoption of IPv6 was that all, all the security tools that we have right now would just would just would cease to function with IPv6 because, um, you know, you, you can't do um, a DDoS protection so easily when you potentially the traffic coming from billions of different IPv6 addresses could look perfectly legitimate. You know, you've got no... Uh, no way to, to correlate um, the addresses the same as you used to. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very, very good thing to have for all, you know, all teams basically to have the DDoS capability in IPv6. But you know, the cloud gives them a ton of flexibility to do it more scalable way than most on-premise hardware appliances are. So I, I'm super happy to see a lot of this DDoS technology get into software and, and just live in the cloud natively now. Yeah, is is it LTE um, or five G? Sorry, uh, IPv6 only. I think I think maybe I that's. Thought, I thought LTE was IPv6 in general because yeah. I know like. Uh, if you have a website and you want it to work on a mobile device, uh, you have to have an IPv6 address for it, or so it won't work. Uh, that's interesting. I mean, maybe go. maybe this maybe this is um, kind of playing into their their move into the five G space. It could be. I know, like, even Google, if you don't have IPv6 on a website, will start de-indexing it for mobile search results. So there's a, there's a ton of gotchas if you're not doing it. So I, I believe that Azure previously had it at the load balancer level uh, to support IPv6, but then after that it was an IPv6 beyond. So that's the that's the upgrade here that's being in the virtual network now. Azure is announcing server-side encryption with customer-managed keys for Azure managed disks is now available. Wow, that is a lot of words. 
Azure is announcing the GA of SSE encryption with customer managed keys. Uh, previously, you could use Azure disk encryption with BitLocker and dmcrypt uh, to encrypt managed disks within the guest VM. Uh, but SSE with CMK improves Azure disk encryption by enabling you to use any OS type and image, including custom images for your VMs by encrypting data in the Azure storage service itself. And this does integrate into their HSM solution, Azure Key Vault, uh, which supports improving key or also supports importing keys and generating new keys in the Key Vault. Cool. And the clouds get closer and closer together with their service offerings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Parity is good. Then the only thing left to uh, differentiate them is price, and then they get their little price war, and we all benefit. Yeah. But it, it is nice to see different areas of investment that these providers are doing. I mean, Google's, I think, been pretty good about security tooling in the cloud, and I think Azure's had some really good uh, you know, SQL Server BI stuff that they've done that's kind of interesting. And then Amazon has a lot of interesting machine learning and big data stuff, so... Uh, you know, they innovate in their own ways and they all kind of come closer together in the other areas uh, over time. It's interesting to, to see them refer specifically to custom VM images. Yeah. Not, not Linux, not Windows. So I wonder, what, I wonder what's, uh, what's, what's kind of prompted this. What kind of custom VM images are we thinking about here? OS2? Maybe they're bringing back OS2? Maybe. Maybe, maybe it's that old computer uh, whopper from War Games. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for the sneeze. It was not a cough. I have no COVID. <laughs> it's okay if you do. <laughs> it doesn't bother anyone anymore. Now that we're all locked at home. Uh, I've got my face mask. I'm always safe. You're always <laughs> safe. Good. Uh, the Azure disk size, uh, new Azure disk sizes and bursting is now generally available as well from Azure this week. This includes new disk sizes, including four, eight, and 16 gigabytes of premium and standard SSD disks, as well as bursting support for on all Azure premium SSD disks for all. Uh, with the bursting, even the smallest premium SSD disk, the four gigabyte, can now achieve up to 3,500 IOPS and 170 megabits per second. Uh, disk bursting is on a credit system, of course, and you can accumulate credits when the traffic is below the target and consume them when they exceed it. Uh, disk bursting can be enabled by default for all new deployments with no user action required. Uh, and premium SSD disk comes from 4 to 512 gigabits of all supporting bursting with the max burst duration being 30 minutes. So there you go. If you uh, want premium bursting disk, that's now available to you on the Azure cloud. Thank goodness. I don't know what I would have done without it. <laughs> I, I, feel like, I feel like it's a little bit of a... A misnomer though, because it's only thirty minutes of bursting. Like it's, you know, it's like it's a, it's a deployment time, though, isn't it? It's like spin up a machine and you're building an image, or you spin up a machine and you're downloading some things at, at deploy time or scale time, and it's okay, it kind of makes sense. But but why uh, why only the first thirty minutes? That is interesting. I suppose it's at some point you can't just save up credits that you know that you've been collecting for weeks and then all of a sudden expect to use them. There's, there's physical limitations too, right? They, there's other people on the boxes. Your resources that went unused go unused. I mean, you can't go back in time and get those IOPS back from the physical world. Yeah, so presumably they, they are reserving uh, you know, IOPS for, pe- for people to allow bursting. Yeah. Mm, maybe. Tricky. I don't know. It just seems one more way to mess up your instance type because, you know, the T3 and T2 credits was such a nightmare to troubleshoot when it would break because no one would think about it being broken. And now it's going to be like, well, it was good for the first 30 minutes and then my performance went to crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, they got to show that, right? Because the T's, they showed it, right? They showed your like they showed your CPU burn down and you can actually they, see they, they do burning show it. too they, much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they definitely do show it. But the problem is, you know, in an SRE incident, that's not the very first thing most people think about. <laughs> it's, oh, is it a T instance and is it out of credits? That never <laughs> happened. 
So uh, it wasn't until they escalated to the cloud guy, and the cloud guy's like, "Hey, this number is zero. That number means you're out of credits." Because <laughs> the cloud yep. guy probably put that put a uh, that's something to monitor if you're going to monitor yes. something at the hardware level. You know, they're not particularly performant discs, so are they? I, I... The premium, the premium, premium. That's as good as it gets. What's better than premium? I don't know. I just I just built a NAS last weekend. Partly because the, the CloudPod audio is, uh, my, my audio library is growing and growing. and Blackmail material needs to be stored and indexed properly. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so went, went to Best Buy, got some external drives because that was what they had and cracked them open and put, put these, uh, these 10 terabyte, two 10 terabyte Western digital drives in. And I benchmarked those things. They perform better than this, this uh, premium SSD. Yep. Yeah, but this premium SSD is basically over the wire. This isn't installed physically in the box. Why do I want... SSD if a spinning disk is equally performant? Well, I think that this is more performant than a spinning disk in a Azure environment based on the other constraints there. Hmm. Fair enough. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think it, I think it is. Yeah. Otherwise, why would anybody pay for it except for the fact that people just like premium? That's a good question. I mean, I have that's to- a terrible. That's a terrible. Qu- like I'm buying it because I like premium. It's like why it's like people who have PyOps who don't need PyOps because they actually get more capacity if they just use the default. I mean, like the uh, the standard SSD managed disk gets you a maximum of 500 IOPS per disk and 25 megabits uh, per second of uh, bandwidth per disk. And then if you go to the pr- the premium SSD. Uh, you basically get 120 provisioned IOPS per disk on the small 4 gigabit, and it goes all the way up to 2300 PIOPS uh, at the 512 gigabyte. And then all of those are down burstable to 3500 for 30 minutes. So it's, uh, it's a little interesting. It, do- it doesn't seem like that big of a difference between the premium and the standard. And again, I think this is it's just more confusion and more capacity planning work I have to do now in my cloud that I don't really want to do. Mm. I agree. I want everything to be the same and just scale out whatever I need. But such is the life. Although if it were that easy, then I'd probably be out of business. So I shouldn't complain too much. <laughs> well, let's move, on, uh, let's move on to the lightning round, Peter. Azure SQL Database Subnet Delegation Enforcement for Managed Instances. Now available. You've been enforced. Ooh, nice. Azure Ultra Disk's shared disk capability is now in preview. Because if you're spending a bajillion dollars for an Ultra Disk, you do want to share it with multiple hosts. Mm. I'm waiting for Ultra Premium, personally. Minimum version of TLS 1.2 is required for FIPS endpoints by March 31st, 2021. Well, so the... This is a this is a rat hole. So this is AWS doing this. By the way, I, did, I forgot to put that in the in the thing. But um, <laughs> Microsoft's implementation of TLS one point two is kind of garbage, and it is more complicated than it needs to be. The, the dumb thing is Microsoft's implementation of TLS one and one point one point one actually doesn't suffer the same defects <laughs> as um, as uh, OpenSSL's implementations did. Yet we still have to disable them for security reasons. Hmm, that is interesting. I didn't know that. No, this, the TLS 1.2 thing's kind of uh, a bit of a pain. We've been suffering yes. through that today with the, the PowerShell gallery now only supports TLS 1.2. But of course, none of the .NET clients out of the box uh, have that enabled. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's an interesting model because like in Linux boxes, they typically try to go for the most, the, the highest level of TLS they can do. They, that's what they try to negotiate. They start there and they work their way down. Where Microsoft's just like, yeah, you know, 1.0 is good enough, even though I can support 1.1 or 1.2. 
And then if you want to disable 1.1, 1. 1.0 or 1.1, you have to actually make registry edits and reboot the box. It's really awful. Mm. I, I will say one thing, though. FIPS endpoints by 2021. That is 13 years after TLS 1.2 was created. Yeah, I agree 100%. They need to give us more time. 13 years. Yeah. <laughs> it is the government we're talking about. You can now receive notifications for AWS code build, code commit, code deploy, and code pipeline in Slack. Finally, I can find whoever's using those services in Slack. How many tests them like that, though? I don't think anybody was using those services. <laughs> I'm sure someone does somewhere. Like just, just not me. The AWS database migration service now supports replicating data to Apache Kafka streaming platform. Wow. Let's take a super complicated service and then add Kafka to it. What's going to go wrong there? <laughs> I'm going to... I know, I can imagine replicating data from a Kafka stream, uh, stream, but I'm trying to imagine migrating data into... I mean, I guess that could be your intermediary. Throw it into Kafka and then do your your processing on it before you put it it's somewhere a, it's else. It's a pretty common pattern for multi-region support is to put it into a message, you know, into a Kafka type queue because that re- supports retry and guaranteed writes and, and all that kind of stuff. And so you're basically, you know, you're taking the data in on one side and then you're basically putting it onto a Kafka queue and on the other side you're taking it off the Kafka queue and putting it into the other database without them being, you know, really cognizant of each other. That's why you do this. But. Isn't that kind of what the migration service does in the first place? It should just integrate Apache Kafka. Now you're going from Kinesis to Kafka. There you go. Because I'm sure DMS is built on top of Kinesis in the back end. Uh, you know what? I don't think it is. I think it's built on an EC2 instance with read replication uh, <laughs> built in like for each of the platforms. Maybe. There you go. If you're in the middle of a database migration, though, and you just happen to have your logs streaming out into this this uh, into a Kafka cluster, what, what, what do you really care about insights into into the transactions that are being replicated? I can't. I, I'd I'd love to understand the use case around this. Maybe we can get a product manager on. AWS Glue now supports reading and writing to Amazon Document DB with MongoDB compatibility and MongoDB tables using Glue Spark ETL jobs. Seems a bit sticky. And I love making you read MongoDB compatibility every time. <laughs> I love saying with MongoDB compatibility. Official name. You got to you gotta stick to the naming. That's what I say. Google Cloud announces machine learning with XG Boost gets faster with data proc on GPUs. Whoa. It was <laughs> XG Boost. Ooh, it was boring when it was a main show title and it's still boring as a lightning round title. I, I don't know <laughs> what to say. Amazon Cognito Identity Pools now supports sign-in with Apple. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that's actually a really good use case. Um, maybe more people are adopting Apple now because I really like the Apple sign-in idea, but not enough places support it. And their privacy tendencies. Mm. Don't get Jonathan started on privacy. Oh, sorry. And Apple. <laughs> Although he thinks Google Chrome or Google Android is more more private than Apple. No, I don't think so. That's not what I, that's not what I said. <laughs> I don't know. It was in private though, so I can't can't say. <laughs> Did you have anything for that one, Jonathan? No, I don't have anything for anything. I'm just I'm I'm. It's uh, it's late in the day. It's how many years into quarantine? I'm just checked out. Ah, three weeks. Introducing Amazon Chime proxy phone sessions. Does that mean I can have somebody else make the call for me? Oh, nice. (laughs) 
Uh, this is just a feature for the IRS, or sorry, a new feature for the FBI to better monitor all those time calls. Mm. Yes. And the winner by default is Justin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't, wasn't much of a competition this week. It wasn't. I'm sorry. Pummeled your competitor into submission. <laughs> Did not come out for the eighth round. Just stayed on the stool. It's like, I'm not going out there again. I ran the, I ran the big query simulation. It said I wasn't going to win anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have been a good one. I might have taken it. Good job. Save that for next week. We'll see if that works. <laughs> All right, guys, that is it. Sorry. Oh, sorry about that. Interesting. Well, ti- well timed. Well timed. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know, things are coming up in the next week or two. Uh, the summits uh, that have all been canceled, as you know. Uh, are all been rescheduled into a virtual event that is now available for you to register for on the summit website. Uh, they will be doing one summit for all of America virtually. So there you go. And one for Asia and I imagine one also for Europe. Uh, so you will be available to take advantage of the summit all online here very soon. So definitely check that out. If you're interested in an Amazon summit, I am kind of curious to see what they do because, you know, reinforce they canceled uh, and so they're not going to replace it with a virtual session, but yet the summits, which are very much learning newbie conferences, they're going to do virtually. It's a little strange, but that's what it is. And so if you are interested in a summit, you can do, attend to the virtual summits that are now open for registration. Okay, maybe I'll listen to the keynotes. Have they, have they canceled Chicago yet? Or is that one still going? I haven't heard canceled yet. Um, and I think we're, because uh, we're going to sponsor it. So I don't think I've heard that our that it's been canceled, but they haven't asked for payment yet. So... I think it's still up in the air. I think they're going to see how this, uh, how May goes. That, that's pretty far out there. Uh, that's yeah. I mean, Chicago's in, supposed to be in August. Yep. So either the beginning of the double dip or very far out of this problem. So yep. we'll see. All right, guys. Well, I uh, will talk to you all next week here on the Cloud Pod. See you yep. later. See you this week. Hey, everyone. Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the Cloud Pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered.